Thanks, Adrian. I'm just going to test something. I'll make sure I've got this working. If I could go backwards, will it work? No, it won't. If I go forwards, will it work? Hmm. That's gone backwards. That's forwards. There we go. All right. Technology. Where would we be without it? Without trauma, right? That's where we'd be. Uh, as human beings, uh, I've come to decide that I reckon we are addicted to temptation. Uh, why? Because, well, temptation's really entertaining. And because I find that every time we come to an election, the politicians, their best tool they use against me, no, for me, or to get my vote, is to tempt me. And of course, most of all, most obvious of all, temptation makes money because temptation sells. Temptation sells. One brazen example of this occurred uh, in the early 2000s with Streets Ice Cream and their. No, oh, yeah, so try and. And their uh, range of Magnum ice creams. Now, I find a Magnum tempting enough, I don't know about you. Uh, but. What they decided to do was to link it to the seven deadly sins with the idea behind the campaign is that a little bit of sin is good for you. And when linked to seven deadly sins, it means, well, it goes to a whole new level, doesn't it? Each ice cream was different and each of them had a headline, give into it, give into it, give into lust, give into envy, give into vanity, give in to sloth, gluttony, pride and revenge. Uh, gluttony, they, they sold an extra big packet on a Friday night for that one, just especially. And to date, it is one of the most successful advertising campaigns that has ever been. And if temptation's that good and we can just give in to it, why not? Well, why would we want protection from it? Why would we ask what we ask in the Lord's Prayer? Well, because it really is no trivial matter for us Christians. If temptation is all about inciting people to sin, to act against God, and God tells us to flee from sin, to flee from doing those kind of things, then well, now we find that we Christians are in a tug of war with our own desires and our God. And this is dangerous territory for us. And so let's pause straight away and run first to God and pray for his help as we try and think about this together. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you're our God, that you know us better than we know ourselves. And as we come with your word and with the Lord's Prayer and want to think about what it is you're asking us to say, help us to understand you, help us to understand our danger, help us to understand what you've supplied for us and help us to know better and best how to live your way with confidence in our Lord Jesus. And we pray it for his sake. Amen. As we go through this talk, you'll find that if you look in the bulletin, there is uh, an outline that I'll be following. And if I can manage to get this right, it should follow that. Uh, you'll also uh, find that at the end of that outline, there is a prayer. And I'm going to invite you to say that prayer with me at the end. So it might help you to have that out and decide whether you really want to pray that um, with me at the end of the talk. Uh, so just warning you about that now that it is there. And also, of course, you've got an opportunity to write all kinds of nasty questions for Graham next week. Make the most of that. Uh, now, we, we pick up the word temptation from the Lord's Prayer that you've been working through as a church together. And today, Graham has invited me to address the next phrase, uh, which is, of course, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And more than any other line in the Lord's Prayer, this is our plea for mercy. It's a plea for mercy because of the danger that we are in. And that Jesus reckons that we need to ask this when we pray, says he knows a whole lot more about what he thinks the danger we're in is than we do. And also knows more about the kind of protection that we require from that danger. According to Jesus, this is an evil age ruled by Satan and his deceptions to tempt us away from God. Now, Eve, of course, discovered this the hard way in the garden in that first reading we just had from Genesis as Satan managed to lure her and Adam away from God back there in the garden. And we've been you know, living the outcomes of that ever since. And yet the danger didn't end there, for as we heard in that second reading, until our deaths or Christ's return, the Apostle Peter warns all Christians to you know, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what he's doing right now in this building. You can't see him, but he's ready to devour and he prowls. And he's always present seeking to do just that. Satan will use all the things he can of this world, even our own flesh, our own desires against us, to bring Christians down from our secure position if that were possible. And what kinds of things do I mean? What kinds of things does he do? Well, we get a, a good example of this and we get a good look at this in detail if we read what was supplied to us by our Anglican forefathers. This is an Anglican church. You have Anglican forefathers in case you didn't know. And they supplied for us this handy dandy little thing called the Book of Common Prayer, now the Australian Prayer Book. And if you go hunting and break down the door of the building over here that's currently locked, I think. Not locked, it's unlocked. Before you leave today, you can go in there and you will find one of these prayer books. And in this is a little section on page 98 called the Litany. Now, the Litany provides a whole bunch of different prayers for us to pray as a church together and teaches people how to pray. So if you don't know how to pray, there's a great part. We've got a thing called a prayer book, which will teach you how to pray. But this little section, the prayers for deliverance, is dramatically specific about the list of temptations and evil we need God's help to be delivered from. What does it say? Uh, so the, the, the aim is that the leader reads the first bit and the congregation responds with the bits in bold. Feel free to do that. Feel free not to. From all evil and mischief, from sin, from the crafts and assaults of the devil and from everlasting damnation, good Lord, deliver us. From all spiritual blindness, from pride, vainglory and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred and malice and from all uncharitableness, good Lord, deliver us. From all deadly sin and from the deceits of the world, the flesh and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. From all false doctrine, heresy and schism, from hardness of heart and contempt of your word and commandment, good Lord, deliver us. From earthquake and tempest, from drought, fire and flood, from civil strife and violence, from war and murder and from dying suddenly and unprepared, good Lord, deliver us. And you really want to say it by the end, don't you? Oh my goodness, what a list. It's a litany of sin. It is a whole list of stuff. And I know for me, uh, this morning, when I got held up before I left and then I had to drive here and, well, there was all kinds of things going on in my heart about the kind of hatred I had for every driver who was slowing me down as I came up the pass. Good Lord, deliver them from me in that moment. 
Good Lord, deliver me from the sin that was prowling, the temptation to, well, drive as I shouldn't. Now, to pray like this and to pray the Lord's Prayer as we have it is evidence of our desire to make it on the last day and be with God, isn't it? And it's also a a humble acknowledgement of how weak we are and how prone we are to giving up whenever things get tough in the Christian life. It's not weak Christians that pray for protection. It's wise Christians. Wise Christians who know ourselves to be just like the disciples who walked with Jesus and yet, as you read the Gospels, were foolish and regularly fell into temptation pretty much at every point along the way. Now, at that moment, of course, uh, some might say and have been heard to say, if God is so good and if he loves Christians so much and if he can see the problem, then why doesn't he just protect us before we ask? Well, that's a fair question, isn't it? Because, you know, that's what a good parent does. They set everything up so that you just don't have this problem. Why doesn't God do that? It's a good question. It requires a good answer, and I'll try and give it. And if you don't like it, put it on the paper and grab another shot next week. Uh, You see, Satan is not the one who puts us to the test. God does. God is the one who tests his people. God is the one who puts us under pressure in the Christian life, and he does that so that we will grow and become mature. That's what we're aiming at at year 13. We put them away from normal things and put them on campus, and we put them under pressure, put them in Fiji, put them under pressure, put them in church, get them to serve, put them under pressure, the aim that they will mature and grow. It's a test. It can be hard, but it's good for us because it means we become mature. However, while God puts us into testing situations, and those testing situations will often be, there'll be temptations present, it's not God himself who does the tempting. No, no, no. Uh, God does not persuade us or entice us to sin. That enticement is the work of Satan himself. It is he who fuels our desires, and once our desires are inflamed, we then go and act on them. And when we act on those desires, that gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. And so at the end of the day, we are responsible for our own sin. Satan will have tempted us to go that way, but we're the ones who've gone that way. But God, of course, has set up the situation which will be tested, and we can choose either to go with Satan's temptations or follow God and the strengthening which he is offering to us in that particular test. Now, this, of course, is what happened to Eve in the garden. Again, that first reading with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, that age-old question, you know, why did God put the rotten thing there in the first place if he knew we were going to eat it? Like, why put the problem in the way? Well, of course, it was a test to see if they would be faithful to God and obedient to his word. That's what it was. And it's, of course, a test that they failed. And in the same way, God tests you and I every single day, not because he hates us or wants to see us fall or he wants us to trip over, no, 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 but because he loves us and he wants to see us strengthened and matured. And he also wants us to be able to see the progress that we are making in our faith, that we would see now how strong we are compared to before or even how weak and needy we still are and in how much help we still need to ask. It's... Just as an athlete has no idea how high they can jump or how fast they can run 
until they are put to the test, either in training or in competition. But once they know, they know, and they now know that new mark and what they now need to do next. Well, so too in our spiritual lives, God is always testing us for our benefit. For our benefit. And this is why the New Testament writers can talk about suffering and testing of faith as a good thing, that we should consider it pure joy because it develops perseverance in our character and which therefore develops our character and which develops hope and which develops maturity. And all these things are the good results that come from God testing us with opportunities for temptation where he's saying, don't go that way and get stronger in the not going of that way. Okay. So if the tests then are good and for our benefit, and we agree with that, then why on earth would we plead with God for mercy to stop? If God's giving us this good thing, this good test, then why in the Lord's Prayer does it say, lead us not into this thing? Why ask to not go into temptation if it's good? Well, this is a question that as a new believer, uh, I came to Christ at 19, no such thing as year 13 then, I was a year too late anyway, and I had no idea why this was there. It was one of those things about the Lord's Prayer that I struggled with, like that question on forgiveness. I struggled with that one too as a new believer. It took a number of years to understand many things and good Christians helping me. However, this one unraveled for me and became clear the moment I went to the gym. Uh, I had to go to the gym because of an injury that meant I lost a whole lot of motion, restricted movement, and it also, of course, it stole my fitness away. And so I went there and I paid good money for someone to put me under more physical pressure than I would ever choose to put myself under. I'm still ruining the day and the money, but it was worth it. And I knew it was worth it because it was doing me good because I would never have pushed myself that hard. And at the same time, knowing it was good, I still found myself crying out for mercy. You know, make it stop. I'd say, and they'd be going, come on, Michael, five more, feel the burn. I'm feeling the burn. It's good. It, I guess it hurts. But the thing is, I fear I'm going to break. That's what happens. It's a physical feeling. I think I'm going to break. Something's going to pop. I don't know what's going to happen here. And I don't want to get that close to that danger, which, of course, is why I plea for mercy. Now, this, of course, is true also in our spiritual walk with God. While his testing is good to strengthen us, which we acknowledge, but when we actually face what's stacked up against us, when we see the size of the test and we recognize our weakness and Satan there tempting us, and though it is a good test that we know will do us good, still it could break us. And I, I don't want to let God down. And I don't want to let the people I love down by failing this difficult spiritual test. I love my father in heaven so much, I don't want to fail him. So I'd rather not be tested. And that's why we ask not to be led into temptation, not to be led into a time of testing. But of course, God sometimes keeps the pressure on, doesn't he? We've all found that he often answers our questions for release and relief and and rescue with a no, you're in this one. And then we fail. And now we've got to deal with our failure. And now we've got to deal with the evil that comes from our failure. And it's at that point that Jesus put the very next part of the Lord's Prayer, that very next little phrase right in there. Do you remember what that phrase is? Lead us not into temptation, but... Deliver us from evil. 
Because that's precisely what we need when we fail, isn't it? Deliver us from evil. And that's why Jesus put those two things there in the Lord's Prayer. His concern is that we will have a right and proper fear of temptation and ask for mercy not to go there, but also to know what to do when we fail. And of course, that is to ask for God's help. And so the real question then becomes, does God hear us? Does he answer us? What is his answer to our plea? Does he listen? Does he care? And in my experience, the answer is yes, 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 and yes. He does. And we Christians know this particularly, not because of how we feel, but because of God's word and the truth that declares to us that he supplies us his very own son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the answer to, uh, is God's answer to our prayers, is God's answer to our pleas for mercy. Christ is our saviour, our Lord, our brother and our friend, but he's not just that. He's also the one who knows us and who intercedes with us with our Father in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, where he is right now, interceding. And the writer of the Hebrews in the New Testament put this beautifully when he describes Jesus like this. He says, We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And because he suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that's you and I, those who are being tempted. He is our help. Which, of course, therefore means, if you can get your head around this, that Jesus himself is God's answer to the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray. It's kind of neat, isn't it? Jesus himself is the answer to the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray on this issue. And there's actually three ways that the Bible shows us that Jesus helps us to face temptation and evil. Uh, now, I've listed them there on your outline, uh, as you see on the screen. Uh, the intercession of Christ, the vocation of Christ, the equipment of Christ. These are the three things. Now, uh, the Bible passages are listed there, and I've given them for you so that you can go away and look at them. And they are worthy of your study. They're worthy of your time. They're worthy of a sermon or more on each passage. I'm not going to do that. Um, we all need to have lunch eventually. My plan is to go very briefly through them and just connect them back to this idea so that you can see and marvel at the amazing things God has given us in his son Jesus and how Jesus is the answer. So have a look at this with me if you would. Uh, the first one is the intercession of Christ. Uh, this is in John 17. It's all about the intercession of Christ as he prays and brings our case before the Lord. An intercessor, one who intercedes for you, is a person who, who stands in your place when you can't do it for yourself. This is what lawyers are supposed to be do. That's what we pay them for. They're supposed to intercede for you. And that's, of course, what you hope the witness does when you're in court for whatever reason in our legal system. In that movie, The Castle, if you remember that great Australian iconic flick, yep, okay, uh, there was a not-so-good lawyer and a really good interceding lawyer, Laurie, the QC, who stands in for Daryl Kerrigan in the High Court. And as an expert in the Constitution and the ways of the court system and all those kinds of things, Laurie 
intercedes, pleads their case and does what they could never have managed to do on their own and everything works out well because they had the right intercessor, the right one interceding for them. Well, so too for us, Jesus is our QC who sits at the right hand of God in heaven and pleads our cause before God day and night. He knows the court. He knows the judge. He is the great lawyer. He is the one who stands and pleads our case that we won't be condemned. And that's comforting to know that. But what is he actually saying? What is he talking about? What is he praying for? What is he doing? We have a fantastic and magnificent example of this, of Jesus doing just this in John chapter 17. This is straight after the, that, that bit where he does the whole Lord's Supper thing and then he's, he's doing a whole lot of talk with the disciples and then he prays this prayer and they're watching, they're listening as he prays for them and for us. And it's recorded for us in John 17. A couple of quick things to point out from it. What does he say? What is he interceding? Well, in verse 11 of that, he prays that we'll be protected by the power of the name of God. Protected by the power of the name of God. My name is Michael John Williamson. Uh, you know, Reverend, whatever other bits and pieces you want to stick on there. That's how you would identify me. But in God's courtroom, I am a Christian. And I have the name of God upon me. And that name is a greater protection than any other thing. Verse 15, he prays, not that we will escape the world and all the troubles of the world, which of course is what you and I want. So, you know, God save me from this and save me from that so I don't have to deal with it. But he says, no, 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 don't take them out of the world and its troubles, but rather God protect them from the evil one and his schemes in the troubles. Jesus knows God's plan for us and what's going on and what we really need protection from. Verse 17, he prays that we'll be sanctified by the truth. Set aside by the truth, made clean, made holy in God's sight by the truth-defining, life-giving word. Now, if you're wondering what that looks like in practice, uh, flick back into Matthew's gospel where he teaches the Lord's Prayer there in the Sermon on the Mount. Just before that, Jesus was led out into the wilderness for a time of testing. A time of testing, just like ours. And he's out there 40 days and nights and he's, he's got no food or water. And who shows up? Well, Satan, of course. And Satan tempts him to be unfaithful to God. This is the big test of Jesus in the wilderness. And Satan tempts him with food and tempts him with protection and tempts him with power. The same things that Satan's very regularly good at tempting us with, isn't he? But on each occasion, Jesus defeats him, you know, like that, just with a word. But it's not a go away Satan word. It's he quotes scripture at him. He knows the sanctifying truth of God so well that it just, it's like a slap in the face to Satan. He's, he's gone. Don't bother with a show of strength. Don't try and do it by your bootlaces. Don't think about you need holy water or symbols of religion or something. We don't need these things. According to Jesus, what we need deep in our hearts and coming out of our mouths is God's word, which sets us apart from evil. And that's the way Jesus intercedes for us in regards to temptation. Isn't it beautiful? And it's helpful. But it's not enough, is it? And Jesus himself knew it wasn't enough. Because he also knows that we fail in those tests and those temptations. And so Jesus, of course, goes one step further than just this intercession. You see, after saying that prayer in John 17, he walks over the valley from Jerusalem and goes into this garden in the dark of night 
And he's going to the meeting place where he knows the soldiers are going to be led there very soon by Judas. So he's getting there ready for the appointment that's about to happen, the time of testing that is about to begin. Because he's going to go from there, he's going to get arrested, he's going to go to the cross. And he's going to go to the cross to give his life to pay the price for our failures. And this is his vocation. This is the vocation of Christ. To die for our sins so that you and I can go free eternally from sin and evil and the condemnation that's due to us because of our failures. Now, The ultimate act of that vocation is completed on the cross. But for our purposes, I think it helps us to look more closely at what happens in that garden. So we're going to have a little look at Matthew 26, 36 to 42. You can turn to it, otherwise I've also got it here on the screen uh, so that you can see it. Let me read it for you. Uh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on, with, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not what I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. And then he exhorted them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then he goes back there asleep. He wakes them up and boom, there's Judas, there's the soldiers. And it rolls to the cross. Just moments before that arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, this is what Jesus is praying. And it's in this moment we see Jesus at his most vulnerable. And those Lord's Prayer phrases about temptation and evil are the prayers that he's now urging upon Peter, James and John to pray in the garden. And it's the prayer Jesus himself is praying because so fearful was Jesus of the time of testing that's about to begin for him. Twice he pleads here for mercy from his father to spare him from that cup of wrath. That wrath for the sin of the world. But it was not to be. He's... His testing on the cross had to happen according to God's will. Otherwise, your and my deliverance would not have happened. This was his vocation. This was his job as our saviour. This is his glory. And this, of course, is why we love and adore and worship him. Is why he was sent by the Father to do what the rest of us could not do cannot do, will never be able to do, and do not have to do. Because he faced temptation and evil for us, we just don't have to. And his deliverance now from that, rising on the third day, is the guarantee of our deliverance also for those who trust in him. This is just how good he is towards us. This is how he's the answer to that prayer. And so Christ prays for it, and then he does it for us, and then last of all, he does one final thing he equips us to face the kind of trials that we have while we wait his return 
This is the equipment of Christ that we read of in Ephesians 6. Now, why do we need this? Uh, We need the equipment of Christ because, of course, Jesus' return, he's now seated on high and we're waiting for his return. And here you and I are still in this place and time of temptation with Satan still prowling around. And so we will and do face temptation and evil while we wait. And so what does he give us? Well, he gives us this equipment, this thing we call the armour of God, uh, this glorious and wonderful armour of God. Now, if you've grown up in the church, I didn't, so I never saw this, but my kids got to experience this. You may have a fond memory of uh, making things out of tin foil and wearing them. Okay, I'm seeing some nodding heads now. Okay, so you had you know, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, you put on that that belt of truth and you know, your feet shod with this tin foil, shoes of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit. And then we all stand there proudly in front of the congregation and we're going to fight off the evil one, right? Remember that? Okay, some of you lacked a childhood like mine. I, I lacked it as well, but I've seen it. Now, it, it looked good, but we didn't take it seriously, did we? Um, we didn't take it seriously because we forgot it very quickly. And... We didn't take it seriously because it's tin foil. What can tin foil do? But we need to take this seriously because, not of the tin foil, but because of the words they represent. For Christ himself in this passage equips us with all that we need to stand firm under testing, resisting temptation from the evil one so that we can stand in the name of God and continue to stand. And when we fail to put these things on, things, we put other things on instead. So for me, when I was driving up here this morning and you know, discovered I'm running late, well, I put on the foot shod with lead so I could put harder on the accelerator. <laughs> and the, the helmet I wanted was the one that was going to protect me in case of an accident. And I was really happy about the breastplate, well, the airbag, uh, just in case I was going to need it. You know, and, and we often enter into tempting situations like that, don't we? I know I do. And so remembering that was about to happen, I then actually I thought, I'm going to preach on this. I'm going to do exactly what I have to do. I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray and put these things on. And gee, it changes the way you drive when you're thinking about peace and the person in front of you as opposed to hatred. Uh, it improves my driving anyway. So what does it look like to watch and pray like the disciples failed to? Remember they fell asleep? Jesus caught them sleeping. What does it look like to actually do what they're supposed to do? It looks like this, what it says in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God. Don't leave it in a pile. Put it on so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. And after you've done everything, to stand. Not fall asleep, but to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. They're great words and they're helpful images. Each of those chosen precisely for where it needs to sit on your body, for what it represents. 
and the clear instructions for us when we face temptation from the evil one each day, every day while we wait Christ's return. So how are you going following this instruction? Is this how you spiritually dress yourself each day? Is this how you dress yourself to come to church this morning? In the full knowledge that the devil will be prowling. Is this how you prayed for each other before you came? Is this what you're remembering each day? Or like me, are you regularly falling asleep at your post, even whilst in church? Wake up, says the Lord Jesus. Be alert. That's what he says. He's the one who's urging us, commanding us. He knows what danger we're in. We've got to watch and pray. We need to wake up and pray as he commanded us, lest we fall to temptation and evil. And we need to keep on doing this, to watch and to pray. Because there's just so many difficulties that surround us, aren't there? We heard a whole bunch of them in that litany. But you know your life and what else is you're facing and there's new situations in every day. We're going to leave here. We're going to go get lunch somewhere with family members or others. And, well, the temptation is going to be to despise them when they give you the wrong thing on their plate, on your plate. It's going to be hard to think, will I be going to share the gospel or am I not? Well, did I put those shoes on? I probably didn't. Am I going to be interested in the truth or am I going to run after gossip? What am I going to do when I'm driving, when I'm with family, when I'm choosing or choosing not to come to church and why? Every moment, faithfulness to Christ is on display. How we work, how we treat people, how we speak. All of these things are tests of our faithfulness to God. And Satan, each moment, is right there tempting us to pursue the desire of our flesh to fall into sin. Friends, we we need to watch. Watch for temptations and evil that surround us. And pray that God would lead us not into temptation and would deliver us from evil and We can pray it, though, not in fear that it might not happen. But because of what Jesus has done, we can pray in confidence, in the full knowledge that God's answer to that prayer is to give us Christ. Christ, who makes it his task to intercede for us in prayer. Christ, who fulfilled his vocation to defeat sin and death on our behalf. Christ, who's given us this great pile of equipment every single day that we can wear that will help us to watch and pray. So let's follow Christ, take heed of his warning and pray. And let's pray right now. Would you join me in that? It's on the bottom of that sheet or it's on the screen if you don't have one of those sheets. Heavenly Father, we praise you for delivering us from evil and making us your beloved children. Thank you for alerting us to our danger and for knowing us better than we know ourselves. By your spirit, help us to watch and pray that we would not fall into temptation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.